title of the message is The Hour Has Come. We'll be in verses 20 through verse 33. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to begin reading. This is God's Word. Let's hear. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he says, signifying by what death he should die. In the last message, we noticed the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the people cried out as we sung this morning, Hosanna in the highest. There, there was much uproar when Jesus made his way on the back of that donkey into Jerusalem for the last time. It was a very, uh, you know, celebratory uh, occasion when he did so. But on the back end of that, we're going to see one of the darkest hours in the history of humanity. Jesus would have to endure that journey to the cross. That meeting that he had on the hill of the skull, on Calvary, where Jesus, the Son of God, would shed his blood for our sin. And he often in his life spoke of this hour. Many times the Jews tried to commandeer, tried to arrest Jesus, tried to hurt him other times, but they could not. They were hindered to do so because Jesus would often say, my hour has not yet come. But now that hour had come where Jesus would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And so this morning we pick it up in these verses. These are Crucial verses. This is a, 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 so important that we grasp what God is speaking to us about as we look back to the cross. You know, the saints in the Old Testament were saved looking forward to the cross. You and I, we're saved looking back to the cross of Calvary. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my Christian life when things get a little stagnant, you know what I do? I read the crucifixion account in the Gospels. I read about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for me, and it just does something to my heart. The fact that the Son of God, the, the sinless, perfect Son of God, would go to the cross for me. He would take those final steps. And here we are seeing those final steps as we unpack these verses this morning. I want you to see about this hour. It was a confirmed hour. It was a confirmed hour. This was on the divine calendar and it was confirmed through the presence of some unusual visitors. We see that there were Greeks that were present there in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. The Bible says that these Gentile visitors had come from the West, that they had come to the feast to worship. Now, we don't know much about these people, but I do not believe that they were curious one-time visitors. I believe that they were God-fearers. They were Gentiles who at some point had come to be aware of the true and living God. So they made the journey, the trek, to Jerusalem alongside the Jews. And isn't this fitting? 
after shortly after Jesus' birth, we know that the wise men came from the east, correct? They came bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they, too, had been searching the stars and, and I believe had gotten wind of the Scripture that one day there would appear a star in the sky that would signify that the Messiah was born, that the Son of God had come to earth. And when they saw that star, they began that trek. Some estimated it was two years that they took to make their way to see the baby Jesus. And um, so at the end of his life, there were those who came to see Jesus. We're going to see in just a moment. These Gentiles, they're going to request a meeting with Jesus. I want you to understand, the wisest of all people are those who seek Jesus. I know you're here this morning. Many of you are here this morning to seek Christ. And this is something that our lives should be known for, that we are a people who seek out Jesus in our day-to-day. Not just on Sundays, but in our day-to-day. But this hour was confirmed through these Gentile Visitors, they made their request. They shot their shot, so to speak, to Philip. <laughs> not, it was not uncommon for people to come and seek out Jesus, but for Gentiles to do so, it was uncommon. It, there's only, a, I think, other one other time in Scripture where a Gentile came to Jesus. Usually, the Gentile knew that they would have to send a, a Jew on their behalf to speak to Jesus, and this is what these Gentiles did as well. These Greeks asked Philip. Now, maybe they chose to ask Philip because he was closest to them or maybe because he had a Greek name, Philip. And and uh, he was from Galilee, the, the region of Galilee. And so uh, they went to him and they said, we, sir, we would see, we wish to see Jesus. Their request was noble. But we're going to see a response. But Philip I believe Philip didn't have the the gall to go up to Jesus on his own. (laughs) Philip went and found Andrew. If you study out Andrew, there's not much written about Andrew, the the disciple Andrew in the Gospels. But every time that we do hear of Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. What a testimony. I want that to be my testimony. I want people to be able to say at the end of my life, man, I'm thankful for such and such, he brought me to Jesus. She brought me to Jesus. We were at a funeral here in the sanctuary a few uh, a few days ago for for Teresa. Um, some of you may know her. Teresa used to sit right over here, or she, and she but she always would plant herself during morning worship and during the worship service here. She'd always be up here to my left to this spot, and oftentimes she'd be prostrate out. Um, you know, just praising God and, and, um, she went home, she lost a battle with cancer. She went home to be with her savior. Happened pretty quickly here. And, but I was just so moved at her service as family got up and testified that every time that they talked to Teresa, she pointed them to Jesus. Every, every conversation she pointed them to Jesus. We had a lady from our church stand up and testify that Teresa was instrumental in her rededicating her life to Jesus. And I'm just telling you, what a testimony. What a testimony. I'm telling you, you might have, people might say at the end of your life, oh, he, you know, he was very skilled at this, this trade or whatever it might be. But what may it be said of each and every one of us that we were bringing people to Jesus? So Andrew and Philip brings these Greeks uh, and their request, excuse me, to Jesus. But I want you to see what, how Jesus responds. And I, I just want to back up for a moment. The theme throughout the Gospel of John is this, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We just sang it a moment ago. He's the Savior of the world. He's not only the Redeemer of Israel, but He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has a global vision Y'all understand that, that God is just as concerned about the salvation of our children as he is children in China, right? There is no, uh, there is no respect of persons between God. God doesn't care if you're American, if you're Canadian, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, Jesus, he wants to save them. He, he has a desire to see the world come to know him and, and I'm thankful for that. 
I'm thankful that as I preach the gospel here this morning, that across the nations, his name is being proclaimed and people are calling on the name of Christ for salvation. Oh, you can't tell me of any other person throughout history who's had more impact in the world than Jesus from Nazareth. Amen. He's the savior of the world for God so loved the world. I'm thankful. That was the verse that was preached the day that I called on Jesus. Oh, I'm so thankful. Some little preacher at a little camp, he didn't know uh, what was going to take place. He didn't know the fruit that would come from just that one sermon. But I'm so thankful. You're looking at a man, by God's grace, I preach across this country. I've seen souls saved. And I'm telling you, it's only because of the Savior of the world, the one who died for my sin, Jesus. He is the one who can save. I want to tell somebody something this morning. He is worthy. Somebody needs to get fired up about Jesus again. Somebody needs to just go back to the cross today in your own life and where he saved you. He loves the world. So Andrew and Philip comes to Jesus with the request, but I want you to see Jesus' response. Look at verse 23. <clears throat> but Jesus answered them saying, The Lord has come. I mean, excuse me, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. It was time for Jesus to be glorified. We may have expected for Him to say at that time, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified, but Jesus saw beyond the cross. He saw the glory that would follow after His sacrifice. The Bible unpacks this more in Hebrews chapter 12 when it talks about how he despised the cross, but he endured it for the joy that was on the other side of it. And I wanted you to just get this principle. There will be no glorification without uh, without sacrifice, without humiliation. You see, this is what Jesus is going to outline later, even for his disciples, that there would be no crowns without carrying our cross. And I'm, I'm afraid that today we cheapened Christianity. We've made it an easy, uh, an easy journey. But everywhere that I study in Scripture, to be a Christian, it means to admit to take up our cross and follow Him. It meant being being humiliated at times. It meant being persecuted. And oftentimes, Christians were martyred for their faith. And I'm telling you, if you're going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. And so this is what Jesus is going to outline. He's going to say, hey, uh, it's time for my glorification, but it will be through a cross. The hour has come. That verb in the Greek is in the perfect tense. That means the hour has come and will stay with us. There will be no going back. Jesus had gotten to the point of no return. And I'm telling you, this hour was the most important hour in the history of humanity. All would hinge on what Jesus would get ready to do in just a few moments. His entire life had been moving towards this decisive hour where he was sacrificed for the sins of not only the Jews, but for the world. This is why we preach the cross. Because there is no salvation apart from the cross of Jesus. And Jesus said, it's time for me to be glorified. You see, most people view death as humiliating, especially the death of the cross. You guys understand it? Jesus was outside of the city. He was stripped naked. He was, he was counted among the criminals. He was beaten beyond recognition. This is the most humiliating type of death you could you could die. It was a public spectacle. But for Jesus, he knew that at the other end of it, it was our salvation and his glorification. He was willing to endure it. And he uses this illustration of, of, grain, of a grain of wheat. I want you to see it in the, in the text. In verse 24, he says, most assuredly, whenever you see that in Scripture, wherever you see, especially when Jesus is speaking, you want to lean in your ear. He's, he's going to say, I'm, I'm telling you an important truth, a principle, something that is of the utmost that you understand. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in, the, in this world 
will keep it to, for eternal life. I want you to notice with me what Jesus illustrates here. He uses that of a grain to show us this picture. Uh, uh, when a seed of grain falls into the ground and dies and is planted, it, it will produce fruit from itself. It will produce many grains. And, and this is the picture that Jesus is saying. He says, because of my death, because of my burial, there will be on the other side of that resurrection. There will be salvation for all those who believe in me. But I must first die. I must first be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And I want you to just get this picture this morning. That Jesus' death would lead to the life of for many. His death and resurrection would bring many sons to glory. This is why we celebrate every day, every week of the year. This is why we celebrate the cross. It is because of that death, because of Jesus, that we have life. And I want you to notice, he's talking to the disciples here. He's, of course, giving them insight to what he would soon face, but he also is showing them what they too will have to come to the decision in their lives to make to follow him. He says in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. I want you to just grasp that. He who loves his life will lose it. We love our lives. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes in America, we have it so good, right? We have, we are so blessed here. We are so comfortable. We, we, we have everything at our disposal. And sometimes that makes us spiritually weak. Sometimes that makes us apathetic and, and lazy when it comes to spiritual things. But as I'm, I spoke about a moment ago, Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross. It's going to cost us something to be a disciple of Christ. We know that every one of the disciples, the twelve, would give their lives because of their ministry. They would all be martyred for the faith. And I want you to just get this in our heads. If we love this life, if we, if we seek to have our lives be that of comfort and ease and, and never really seeing any spiritual warfare, never really stepping out in faith to bring glory to God, never really seeking first the kingdom, we will lose it. You and I both know people who have everything that the world says should make them happy and successful, but they are miserable. You and I both know people who have spent their whole lives to attain a crown that won't matter for eternity. I'm just here to tell some Christian today, we should be living apart from this culture. Our priorities should not be the priorities of our lost neighbors. Our lives should reflect a, a complete surrender to God, even to the point that if he were to call you tomorrow to pack it all up and move to some mission field somewhere remotely, that you would be willing because you had already died long before he called you there. This is the, this is what's missing from a lot of our Christian lives. The reason why we fail and we, we fall into sin because we have not surrendered. We have not given Christ our lives. We love our lives. And, and we live for this world. And this is what Jesus is pushing back on the disciples. He, he's telling them, hey, if you're going to follow me, you, you can't love this life. You can't love this world. You can't be caught up in this world system. And he says, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I want you to see this principle. A disciple is called to hate his life in the world. And what it means by hate, it means to be so committed to Christ that there is no self-centeredness in us. No concern for self, but we are completely submitted to God. Now, if you guys have mastered, it, mastered this, come talk to me afterwards. I want to learn from you. This is a high standard. And there was only one person who did it perfectly, and it was Jesus. But I'm telling you, this is what we should attain to. God, my life is yours. My finances is yours. My family is yours. This career is yours. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Uh, where you lead me, I will follow. And um, this is what God is calling us to. What he's saying is not that we should live our lives in reckless disregard for it. This is not what Jesus is saying. But I believe what he's saying is that we should 
be ready to freely give it up for God. His call, his purpose for coming into the world was to be the savior of the world. It was to die. He was born to die. And so this was the will of God, the will of the Father for Jesus. And I don't know what the will of God is for your life, but I'm telling you, uh, most people never ask God, what is your will? What do you want in my life? What most of us do is we say, God, this is my plan. Will you bless it? Let's be honest. That's you. You're saving your life. This is what I want to spend my life. When I look at my kids, I don't ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't. One of my kids came up to me the other day and said, I'm going to be a Christian YouTuber. And I said, okay. <laughs> and all I did was just, I didn't, I didn't discourage them, I promise you. I just prayed. I said, God, well, <laughs> he's yours. I'm just stewarding it for a while. And, and uh, but anyways, isn't that a lot of kids today think it's going to be just quick and simple and social media influencer and make millions and millions of dollars and, and just live, save their life, have an easy go at it, right? That's what the world is about. The world teaches us to pursue that which will make us, uh, you know, wealthy and happy and, and, and whatever they uh, are trying to promote us into. But let me, let me tell you, for the Christian, if you know Christ, there is no fulfillment and happiness apart from surrender to him. That's why some of the most sour people I meet, some of the most lifeless people I meet, some of the most uh, miserable people I meet are in the church. Whew. Let that sit there for a moment. And they think that their problem is their spouse. They think that their problem is they haven't gotten a raise. They think their problem is you fill in the blank. But it is simply this. In a lot of cases, they aren't surrendered to God. When you surrender to God, whatever God brings you into, whatever season that you find yourself in, you find contentment. You find Him there. We're going to see in just a moment. Those who serve Him will be with Him. And I just want to encourage us this morning with this principle once again. To lose yourself in Christ. Your identity is found in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he talked about how he... Uh, he was dead, but he found in that death he was crucified unto Christ, right? But yet he lived. And the power that rested on Christ was resting on him. How? Through death to self. He said it often, I die daily. He died to the worldly pursuits. He died to his own desires. He died to his own plans and his own 10 year, uh, uh, you know, planning center, whatever it might be. I'm telling you what we need to do this morning, a new and a fresh say, God, here is my life. Do with it what you will. And then you'll find it. Then he'll put you, he'll plant you somewhere where you'll thrive. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. To follow Christ is never comfortable. It is never easy. But it's worth it. Let me tell somebody, it's worth it. And so, this is the principle that he is saying. He's saying, if you keep your life, if you love your life, you will lose it. And if you hate your life in this world, and I want you to see that that emphasis of this world, because for the believer, we have life waiting for us eternally in heaven. And it's far greater. You don't seek the pleasures of this life. They pale in comparison to what we have waiting for us. This is what I have to do often with my children. I, I'm trying to sometimes teach them delayed gratification. We live in an instant gratification society where I want this. Now, you guys have any kids like that? You give them five bucks and it's burning a hole in their pocket, right? As soon as you get in the store, they want to buy everything. And so what I tell them, hey, save that. You're going to want something that's better. If you save, if you are patient, if you wait later on, you'll have more dollars and you'll be able to get something, you know, more substantial. <laughs> and this is what I want to tell to some of you this morning. Hey, if you would deny yourself now, and live out the will of God and allow God to work through you. The rewards that will be waiting for you on the other end of this life will far outweigh any pleasures you might think you might not have this side of eternity. I, I truly believe that. And this is what Jesus is uh, hes modeling. He's going to go to the cross because of what's on the other side of it. 
the glorification, our salvation. He's going to endure some suffering for a season so that on the other end of it, there would be eternal glorification. And I want you to get this picture. What is it that God may be telling you to, to, to put aside, to lay down, to follow him so that he can bless you greater? I'm going to tell you this. This is what the Bible, uh, the, the principles of the word of God teaches us. Seek him first. But I want you to see in verse 26, he goes on, he says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. I want you to see that. He says, if anyone serves me, that word is the, in the Greek is diakonos, and it means a servant at, in attendance, a servant at a table. Um, this is different than the word doulos, which is, is, was a slave in that time. And, but this is a, a servant who would be close to the master. A servant who would uh, be in attendance, waiting the table for the master. <laughs> and uh, this is what he's looking for. God is looking for a people who will serve him, intimately be near him and serve him. And... Um, he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. You know what it means to be a servant of Christ? It means to follow him. It does not mean that we stop working our jobs. I'm not telling you to quit your job and, and to hit the road and just be a, you know, uh, itinerant evangelist, you know, at Walmarts or something. I'm not telling you to do that, okay? If God tells you to do that, that's what you do, okay? But what I'm saying here is that we are to serve God where he has us to uh, at our jobs, caring for our families, studying, you know, in school for those in school. If wherever God has you, you should be the servant of Jesus there. Is anybody following me this morning? If you are a janitor, you should be the very best janitor at your job. You should have a testimony for Christ. If you're a small business owner, your business affairs should bring glory to God. I'm telling you, if you clock in for Northrop or wherever you are, you should be the very best uh, for Jesus in that place. And I want to encourage somebody with that. If you're serving God, wherever you're at, you should be serving God. And this is what he says. If anyone follows me, if anyone serves me, he will let him follow me. And what that also meant is that we'd follow him even if it meant humiliation, even if it meant sacrifice, even if it meant uh, difficulty, that we'd follow him. And later on, he will honor us. If any man serves me, let him follow me. He says, and where I am, there my servant will be also. I don't know about you guys. I told the, the earlier service that anywhere Christ is, that's where I want to be. I want to be close to him. If you don't have that desire, something's not right. If you don't desire to be with him, I tell you guys often, like, I love my, my family. I love the ministry God has called me to. I love this and I'm not in a rush to, to necessarily go to heaven, but there are times when I am alone or maybe I'm in his presence when I wish he'd send a chariot of fire. <laughs> I just want to see you, Jesus. I just want to be I just want to be near you. And there's this yearning for a place that I've never been before. And I'm telling you, if you are a Christian and you never experience that, you never get sick of this old sinful world and the depravity and all of its turmoil. If you don't have a longing to be with Jesus, there's something wrong. Jesus says, my servant will be where I am. And they will... Choose to be where I am. This is, this is a picture there that the servant wants to be there. He wants, this is not forced slavery. Some of you, you were forced here this morning. Don't, <laughs> parents, don't give up. You, you probably forced a few of your teenagers here. I was forced as a teenager. I remember we, we were so poor we didn't have a car, so we'd have to hop on a bus in the summer and it'd be like a hundred kids and I was, I was a 17-year-old, 6'3", uh, you know, starting guard at, at A.V. High School, and I'm hopping on this church bus and ducking to see, hopefully my friends didn't see me get on this bus because it wasn't cool. <laughs> my mom said, you going? It's not an option. <laughs> 
But I'm thankful. I'd be in the back of that. I'd be at the far back. I, I'm like some of you in this balcony. I see some of you up there. I'd find the furthest far part I could sit as far as I can in the youth group, right? And I sit there and I have my arms crossed. Like, what is this nerd gonna teach me today? But that was my attitude. But every time I'd go, the word of God would <clears throat> hit me with the jab, <clears throat> hit me with that hook, and I just. Man, he's, they've been reading my mail. They've been, man, God, like, I couldn't run from them. But I just, I share that with you guys because some of you, you're in that battle right now with your kids, but keep fighting the good fight. You don't know who you, who you got in that house. A world changer, I believe many of us, we are raising world changers for Christ. And I'm telling you, we gotta keep fighting the good fight. But anyhow. I just share that with y'all, but a servant, this servant that Jesus is talking about here, they want to be with him. They desire to be where he is. It isn't force. They are willingly in his presence. I heard about a story of a, a man who was of affluence and he was fighting to, to abolish slavery in his day. One of the ways that he would do so is he would go to slave auctions and he'd purchase slaves and he'd give them their freedom. And one day he was at an auction and there was a teenage slave girl that he purchased at that auction and he took her out of the south and he, he got her up north where he was from and he took very careful care to, to, to be gentle with her. And when they got to where they were going, he gave her some money and he said to her, you are free to go. You are free to go. I purchased your freedom and you're free to go. The young slave girl looked at him and was dismayed. She could not believe what had just taken place. And and um, she asked him again, sir, are you saying that I'm free? And she, he said, yes, you're free to go. And she looked at him and I'm free to choose where I go? Yes, you're free to, to choose where you go. And And she looked at him and she said, sir, I choose to go with you. And that's you, that should be you and I. You and I, we were enslaved to sin on our way to a Christless hell when Jesus purchased us on a cross. And not only did he purchase us, but he gave us a purpose and, and now we have the privilege to say that we can be in his service, that we could be near him, that we could bring him honor and glory uh, through our lives. And I'm telling you, uh, if this morning you don't have a desire to serve God, oh, I'm so thankful for men and women in this church who serve God week after week after week. I'm so thankful. I was thinking about the nursery workers. Oh, have you ever been in there? That's a battleground. I'm thankful that you serve God. I'm thankful for the, the ushers each week. They're here before me. They're opening up the worship team. They come and practice. And I mean, I'm telling you, I can go down the line, the children's ministry. Oh, those who uh, labor with, with our kids. And we know our kids are bad. We know our kids don't listen. But yet they love them. That's serving Jesus. And I want to remind somebody this morning, if you're a servant, you're doing so not for the kids necessarily, not for me or anyone else here. You're doing it as unto Christ. And so that should be your desire to bring him glory. I'm telling you, this is where we've got to grasp this, what Jesus is saying. My servant will be with me. And when he serves me, I want you to notice at the end of verse 26, he says, Him my Father will honor. Listen to that. Him my Father will honor. Will honor. Those who serve Jesus, those who love Jesus, who, who want to be around Jesus, they will be honored by the Father. Oh, this is what I live for. I live for the day when I see him and hopefully I hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It will be worth it all when we see him. All the suffering, all the heartaches, all the difficulty of service, of being faithful to him. It will be worth it when we receive honor. Jesus said, those who deny me 
when my father comes with the holy angels, I will deny them. This is what we should all be striving to do. To honor Jesus so that the Father will in turn show us honor. I've seen God honor the lives of His servants. I've seen it. I've seen just people who it is evident that God has blessed their family. He's blessed them in such a way that there's no other explanation apart from the grace of God. And you could trace it back to their heart for God. You know, what's going to really make the difference in our homes is whether or not we honor God there. Our kids, they may stray, but I'm telling you, if we are honoring God, when they come to, they will know where to go. I'm so thankful that there are parents in this room that when your kids were astray, they didn't want no part of this. You stayed faithful. And when God got a hold of them, they found you still in your place. I just want to tell somebody, stay in your place. Stay where God has you. Stay honoring Him no matter what the circumstances may look like right now. God will honor that. God will honor that. God will honor those who honor Him. And so, we see that this was a very, it was a, it was a confirmed hour. It was confirmed through Gentile visitors who'd come to the feast. And, and also it was confirmed when Jesus said so, that it was the hour of his glorification. And he gives the illustration of the grain of wheat. But I want you to see, secondly this morning, it was a crucial hour. It was such a crucial hour. As I said earlier, this was the most important hour of humanity. And I want you to see this hour was crucial because there was intense conflict taking place. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. I want you to see the intense conflict that Jesus had internally. Hey, sometimes the will of God, oftentimes the will of God is a life of Intense conflict. Internally, we're going to go through stuff. We're going to experience things. And nobody, I think, experienced more of the intensity of spiritual warfare and the weight of what he was going to have to endure more than Christ. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat great drops of blood under the weight. We know that he asked he asked the Father, take this cup from me. If there be any other way, he asked three times. Could you imagine? Jesus understood the agony physically. He understood that he would be made sin who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. But he understood that in that time, he would be separated for, from God for those six hours as he hung on a cross on the, on, on, and while the earth, the sun refused to shine. It was so black. I believe uh, that you couldn't see much. I I'm telling you, he understood what he was going to suffer, and it was not easy to deal with. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. He said, my soul is troubled. We see his emotion. I'm so grateful. I, I, I find myself being an emotional guy at times. Sometimes I, I whine to God, I cry to God, and it's oftentimes he reminds me what, he, what Jesus went through for me. And often what we face is so minuscule <laughs> in comparison, right? But it's okay to be transparent with God. It's okay to bring your emotions because Jesus has given insight to his emotions to those disciples. My soul is troubled. It meant, it meant that he was agitated. He was stirred. He was, he was in turmoil. He knew what he would suffer. But I want you to notice he didn't say, what shall I do? He, he says, what shall I say? <laughs> he knew that he would follow through. He was, going to, he was going to drink the cup that was before him. His hour of suffering. He surrendered to the will of God. He prayed before God the Father. And he, he said, we're going to see in just a moment. He says, verse 28, Father... Glorify your name. Hey, 
That's, that's what surrender looks like. Surrender looks like whatever God you have for me, glorify your name in it. Some of you within the next few months, you're going to get some bad news about your health. You know what our prayer should be? We, sh- we should pray for healing. We should pray for God to give grace in it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, ultimately, our prayer should be, Father, glorify your name through this. Father, glorify your name through this trial, through this difficulty. This is where Jesus is, is instructing us that the cost of commitment to the Father's will, it can sometimes be very hefty, but it's worth it. And so, I want you to get this picture, church family. Let's, I think sometimes we've been We've been given a type of Christianity that says that we should never go through nothing. We should never experience suffering. We should never have intense conflict. And No, that's not what we see in Scripture. God, he, he never promised that we would be comfortable. If you're comfortable in here this morning, chances are you, we aren't accomplishing enough for Christ. We aren't being very fruitful. We're, we're saving our lives once again. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, God does not expect us to be comfortable, but he does expect us to be conformable. You guys get that? We should be willing to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I want you to know that Jesus went through suffering it, it, so that we could be saved. And I'm telling you, sometimes in our lives, we will go through suffering. I know this isn't. This isn't attractive. This isn't something that we <laughs> want to hear. You say, I didn't come to church today to be told that I'm going to go through suffering. <laughs> but I promise you that on the other end of that, for those who are seeking God first, who are in his will, I promise you at the other end of that, there's blessing, there's joy. And so Jesus, he's being transparent. My soul is troubled. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He said, no, but, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He knew that was his purpose. He was the Lamb of God who had come into the world to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And uh, he prays, Father, glorify your name. I want you to see the Father's response. Look at 28. The Bible says, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father gives his affirmation on Jesus' life and ministry and his soon glorification through his crucifixion. He says, I have glorified it and I will again soon. And this was audible for those who were there. Look, the people didn't quite understand it. There were many there that didn't comprehend what had what what was said the bible says in verse 29 therefore the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered <laughs> others said an angel has spoken to him jesus goes on and he tells them this voice it didn't come from me it was it was for you it was for you guys <laughs> it was for your sake and and um but i want to see the father showed up a few times in jesus life and ministry at the beginning of his ministry the father spoke in Matthew 3, when he began his journey to Jerusalem, the Father spoke audibly. And here, just a few days before the cross, the Father spoke audibly and gave the word of assurance to Christ, who would soon suffer. And the Father approved him. So I want you to just get this picture. God approves those who are willing to sacrifice it all. God approves those who will seek out His will and be faithful to it until the end. He will honor those who honor Him. So we see that there's a intense conflict going on internally within Christ. His soul was troubled. He was feeling the weight of what He would soon face. But I want you to see there was another battle that was raging. It was a battle against the kingdom of darkness. Look at what Jesus says in verse number 31. And we're almost done. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all people to myself. This he says, signifying by what death he would die. I want you to see what was going on here was a battle against darkness. Jesus would ultimately destroy Satan and his kingdom. He speaks of it. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Do you understand that our world will be judged based upon what Christ has done on the cross? That it is the dividing factor between heaven and hell. He is the dividing factor between uh, this world and the next. And I want you to get this picture this morning. Jesus was raging a spiritual battle against the devil and hell itself. And it says, now this is the day that the, the world will be judged and the ruler of this world. How many of you guys would say this? The devil is really, he's, he's showing himself, he's showing that he is, uh, he's making his final push, it seems like it. He's defeated though. Aren't you thankful that we, we serve our risen Savior who has already defeated the devil and hell and sin and we fight from a position of victory. We fight from a position of victory. But he says, now is the hour of judgment of this world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. I was thinking about that this week. Hey, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're fighting against Satan and his kingdom. The demonic realm. This is what we're seeing. Don't you see it? There's so much that is going on in the world that can only be explained by the fact that it's spiritual warfare that is demonic. It is demonic for someone to... I can keep... I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm trying to get us... The next strike. <laughs> but it is demonic. A lot of the stuff that we see going on. The perversion being promoted. The, the, the filth that is being shown to our kids in schools and curriculums. I'm telling you, this is demonic. This is demonic. Where men can become women. That's demonic. Why, you find it telling that they identify themselves as they and them. That's demonic. And I don't say that because I hate anybody. I love every person. And I'm praying. And I'm, I'm preaching this word. And I'm probably going to be canceled for saying things like this. And there's, I'm gonna, I already see the emails coming and, and the hate mail or whatever might come. But the truth is that we are called to speak the truth in love. And if we don't say anything, the kingdom of darkness goes un unbridled what the only defense for a lie is the truth and we've been given the truth of the word of God and to lovingly rebuke the demonic realm and this is why we believe in this church that we're going to see revival we're going to see the power of God fall we're going to cast out devils I, I look forward to the day when we are <laughs> when we see people who are struggling with that type of Sin and, and they're gonna be set free. I, I pray for that. I pray. I look forward to the day I watched the video this week uh, of when a church was in a, in a season of revival and people were lined up before the church door was open. I'm looking forward to the day and I hope you guys are prepared for it because revival isn't, it's messy. You might get a little, you might sit next to somebody who, 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 who votes differently than you do right now. <laughs> who looks different than you right then. I'm telling you, when revival hits, God draws people in from the out who, who have been under the power of Satan. He draws them here where they will be set free by the power of God. And I can't wait for the day when I get to pray with somebody who, who's going to be set free from that. I can't wait for it. To lay hands on men and women who are struggling in all types of areas for that matter. The kingdom of darkness. I want you to see Jesus was, he was in the wimp. He was a warrior. He's, he, <laughs> he was raging war against Satan through his death on the cross. The prince of this world would be defeated once and for all. 
<laughs> he said, if I am lifting up, lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is predicting his death on the cross. The Jews typically would, would stone someone to death, but Jesus understood that he would be handed over to the Romans and crucified. So this is what he is predicting. He is prophesying this. And, um, and what it meant by him being lifted up was he would be on a cross. And when it says he will draw all men to himself, what Jesus was saying was not that there would be universal salvation, but that there would be no discrimination when it comes to those who would come to him for salvation. You guys want to be encouraged with something this morning? You know what encouraged me this week was to be reminded that Jesus, he's going to win souls from every tribe, every tongue, every nationality, every social economical class. I'm telling you, he's going to have disciples that come to faith in him from all walks of life. And this is something that we should be encouraged with in times like this. Do you sense it? People are getting hungry. It seems like everywhere I turn, people are seeking and they're hungry. And this is why we should be on mission right now like never before. Because the world is seeing everything disintegrate. They're seeing the new world order trying to be ushered in. They're seeing our freedom and other things be under attack. They're seeing these things. And so you know what? We've got to come in and preach the kingdom of God. We've got to come in and preach that Jesus saves and that this world is passing away and the ruler of this world has already been defeated and our King Jesus is coming to set up his literal kingdom and will they be prepared for it? Hey, I'm not, hey, I'm all for America. I pray for America. I pray for revival so America stands. But I'm telling you, if America falls tomorrow, King Jesus and his kingdom is still secure. And I'm a part of his kingdom. <laughs> hey, hey, his kingdom has no end. But you know, every kingdom of the world has a shelf life. Y'all understand that? Even more so, why we should be pressing into God in this day. Even more so, as we see, we, we're bemoaning things happening. Hey, I'm bemoaning it a little bit too. But like I, like I told you guys earlier, I see that day approaching, and that's going to be a glorious day for us in Christ. It's going to be a glorious time when he comes. He's defeated the devil through the cross. And this week we're going to celebrate his resurrection here. We're going to have a grand old time <laughs> worshiping his name, exalting his name. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to myself. That's our job, to lift them up. Lift them up in our lives to share the good news.